You're listening to Icebreakers, the podcast exploring all things Canadian and Eurasian, business, culture, and personalities. The series is produced by Serba, the Canada-Eurasia-Russia Business Association. We're a non-profit supporting trade, investment, and good relations between Canada and the countries of Eurasia. I'm your host, Nathan Hunt, one of the founders of Serba and former chairman of the National Board. I invite you to tune in regularly for valuable insights relating to the region. I am joined today by the uh, trade representative of the Russian Federation in Canada, Mr. Valery Ivanovich Maximov. Uh, he has an illustrious career. He served as Minister for Federative Affairs and External Relations in his uh, hometown, the Republic of Saha Yakutia. I should note that he's not from the capital city, so his hometown is actually quite a small village a ways away from the capital. But uh, anyway, he served as Minister for Federative Affairs from 2010 to 2014. From 2014 to 2016, he was Minister of the Economy for the Republic of Saha Yakutia, which is one of the most uh, important uh, portfolios in that republic. And then uh, in 2016, he packed his bags and came to visit us in Canada, first as Deputy Trade Commissioner from July 2016 to August 2018. And since August of 2018, he has been Senior Trade Commissioner, the big kahuna for uh, Russian trade with Canada. Uh, and I, I can say you've done an excellent job while you've been with us, Valery Ivanovich. We appreciate it very much. Thank you very much, Nathan. Good morning. Turugur, Valery Ivanovich. Tuuch sonun. Yes, right. Yes, sir, Nathan. Good morning, Nathan. I, I think I said hello in the Yakutian language. And how are you doing? I said something like that, right? Yes, right. Well, there you have it. There you have it. Tell us just a little bit about the Yakutian language. We had a rehearsal a couple of days ago, and we talked for about an hour and a half on this because it's, it's, it's very interesting. But uh, in, in a condensed version, what can you tell us about the language uh, and its, uh, its roots? Yes, Sahel language is a Turkic language and has been widely recognized as one of the ancient Turkic languages in the world. I think I should uh, start to talk about the people you know, the Russia is a unique country. Russian people could build an entire Russian civilization by spreading their culture and language and accepting the cultures and languages of indigenous people while expanding the country's territory. Yakut, or Saha people as we prefer to call ourselves, live on an endless territory in the northeastern part of Russia. By the way, Nathan, did you know that the Republic of Saha is the largest subnational governing body by area in the world. Yeah, and we talked about that, and I wanted to get your, I wanted to hear this again. I told you that I think the area of Yakutia is as big as France, and you said, no, 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 it's much bigger. What did, what did you tell me? Yeah, it's more than five times bigger than France. Well, there you have it. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's <laughs> comparable with India in terms of the area, but the population 1,000 times less. Well, you know, we Westerners aren't, aren't very good at geography, so I apologize for that. But uh, it's a huge area, but it's certainly sparsely populated. What is the population of Yakutia? Uh, less than one million. The half, more than the half of the population consists of indigenous people. Interesting. And what village are you from? Because I, I said you're from Yakutia, the capital, but you're not from the capital. You, were, you told me you're like an hour outside of the capital. Where, where is your village and how far is it from the capital? I was born in Berdigestiak village, 
less than 200 kilometers away from the capital city of Tsakha Republic, the Yakut city. It is pretty close to the center, comparing other villages located thousands of kilometers away from the capital city. So it's not far. <laughs> not far, yes. 200. There are many countries in the world where if you told them you're not far, you're 200 kilometers away, they would laugh at you. But, uh, <laughs> but Yakutia is not one such place. Uh, certainly 200 kilometers is right next door in Yakutia. Right, absolutely. You know, I asked you, and, it, and it's, it's going to be on everybody's mind, you came from uh, a far-off, uh, sparsely populated region. You know, I come from a, a place like that myself, you know that. But uh, how on earth did you get to be a, uh, you know, one of the leaders, first of all, of your people in the Republic, and second of all, such an illustrious and important position for the Russian Federation as senior trade representative? What, what was your career path? How did you achieve that? Yeah, I think we should look back uh, to the history. <laughs> Although I was born and raised in the countryside, I've constantly analyzed my native country, the USSR, with the other biggest countries in economic development, natural resources production, and manufacturing. And I used to have notebooks full of tables with comparative data. Also, I liked to participate in social activities, firstly at school, then I used to be a part of more significant events in our community. And finally, I began to work at the local TV station as an answer. So, Is that right? So, you, sorry, you were on TV. Did you speak Russian or Yakutian on TV? Yakutian language. Oh, fabulous, fabulous. Okay. So at the time of school graduation, I had the knowledge and was very confident to study economics and management and graduated secondary school in 1993 with the Medal of Honor and was ready to leave my native village. I'm sure, Nathan, you are very much aware of, of what had happened in our country in that particular year, in 1993. And um, unfortunately, the option to get a university education in Moscow seemed to be unreal to me. That was a monumentous year. We remember 93. It was a tumultuous year, for sure. Yeah. Of course, there were other options uh, to obtain a university education besides Moscow, but Many of the bright-minded students' parents decided to keep their children close to them. My mother had the same point, and fortunately, Yakut State University announced the opening of economic faculty in 1993. I passed all exams and could join the very first students of the new faculty. Oh, it was a new university then? Is that right? No, it was a new faculty at the university. I see. Okay, a new department. Got it. A new department. Yes, right. And um, by the way, my professional career in the Sahara public government started at the Ministry of Economy. Olga Alexeyeva, the economy minister at that time, has invited to join her team. And I can say now that I was lucky enough to work with wise and experienced people throughout my entire career in the Sahara Republic. And I had a unique chance to work with all the presidents of the Republic of Sahara and dealt with state assets management at the regional government, industrial development and investment attraction as a deputy minister of industry, external and federative affairs as a minister. And finally, I was appointed as a minister of economic development of the Sahara Republic in 2014. Yes, you served there for two years. Now, you talk about attracting investment. I'll, uh, I'll ask the $100,000 question. Just what investment did you attract? 
you know, obviously we're interested in Canada, Canadian companies, but not just Canadian. You know, what type of investors did come to the Saha Republic uh, and what type of, uh, you know, industries did you participate in developing? Very good example of our collaboration with Canadian companies, uh, the Silver Bear Company. It's a mining, silver mining project. The company's principal shareholders now are Russian, but the company is still registered in Canada and has the T6 leasing. They are very successful now. They still have roots from Canada, and uh, this is a very good example how we started investment attraction from Canadian companies. Okay, well, that's a that's a good example of a of cooperation between Canada and Yakutia. How about some other companies, maybe not even Canadian? What what are some other industries that you have attracted? To Yakutia, the most important, I think, uh, projects for for myself it was um, oil and gas industries projects, gasification of the Republic of Sakha Yakutia. We could establish very good connections with the Russian government and Russian oil and gas companies to start the wide uh, gasification program within the republic. So it was very important as for the social development as well as uh, for the economic development for the of the of the region. Well, of course, delivering gas to to all the far corners of the republic. I'm sure that was a challenge when you're dealing with uh, huge expenses as uh, as you have in Yakutia. Right. Absolutely. Now I've got to ask one question. It's going to be a dumb question, and you'll forgive me. What is the difference between the Saha Republic and Yakutia? I know that the official name is the, Rep- the Saha Republic. We, we, we use that in correspondence. Is Yakutia a nationality and Saha is the name of the, of the entity, the political entity, or am I mixing that up? What is the difference between Saha Republic and Yakutia? There is no difference between Saha Republic and Yakutia when we are talking about the Russian region. So it's a, you can use Republic of Saha or Yakutia. Or you can at the same time use Republic of Saha Yakutia. But we uh, call ourselves as a nation, as Saha people. So it's a bit different. Okay, so your name in the Yakut language for your own people is the Saha people. Did I understand correctly? Right. Okay, that makes sense then. So let me tell you, you were Minister of Economic Development. That surely was a, a, a challenging role, and it sounds like you did an excellent job. What made you start looking abroad? And why Canada? You could have gone to some other places, I think. What were you looking at? You see, Nathan, Yakutia as a region has always been very proactive on the federal and international levels. And I'm sure they will be proactive many years to come. We started comprehensive promotion of our projects on interregional, national, and global levels in 2010. Uh, some of them were very successful. For instance, with the support of member regions, including Canadian Quebec province, Northwestern Territories, and Yukon, we started in 2012 the reformation of international interregional organization, the Northern Forum, the observer to the Arctic Council. Together with our member regions, we could find the um, right solutions to solve financial problems, resume project activities, and attract new members. And by the way, all those decisions have been made in Quebec City, in Canada. Wow, you're talking about the Northern Forum now, which is not the Arctic Council. Arctic Council is a political organization. 
The Northern Forum is a social organization as an adjunct to the Arctic Council, I think. Am I right? This is an observer to the Council, to the Arctic Council. Okay. And it's more, it has more of a social component. Yes, it's, a, it, it's an interregional, international interregional organization. And who participates uh, of the nations and regions? Uh, you said Quebec, you said Yakutia, Northwest Territories, who else? Uh, they used to. Unfortunately, only Canada refrained from resuming the membership of, these, of its provinces and territories now. And they have now at least representatives from all Arctic countries, I think, except Canada, because Alaska rejoined a few years ago. Finland, uh, Norway, Iceland, they are all there. No Canada, unfortunately. But no Canada. Why? Because of the political crisis? Uh, Yes. Well, that's a shame because the Arctic is one area where, in spite of our differences, and they are serious differences, by the way, let's not downplay them, they are important differences, but the Arctic is one area where, in spite of our differences, we could be uh, working together and accomplishing uh, good for the whole planet, I think. Yes, absolutely. You're right. Well, as we say in English, I'm preaching to the choir here. <laughs> you're, you're, you, uh, I'm sure you would be happy to, to welcome Canada back into the fold if, uh, if the provinces would rejoin the Northern Forum. You welcomed the Canadian delegation uh, into Yakutia once or twice, probably. Do you remember meeting John Sloan and Nicola Fren way back when? Was it 2010 or, or 2012, some, somewhere around there? Yes, of course, Nathan. I remember that in March 2013, we had a big delegation. Oh, yeah, we had a big delegation of 12 people: Ambassador John Sloan, his wife, Nicola Fren, and others. And we welcomed the Canadian delegation uh, one year after the official visit of the Czech Republic president to Canada in 2012. Yakutian president visited Canada, and what were the outcomes of that visit, or those two visits, I should say? Yeah, we signed different agreements. So in construction sphere, there were uh, an agreement between Canadian and Russian, I mean, Yakutian company, a company from Yakutia. Adgezi Metal Construction now is a leading company which uses the Canadian technology of construction technology. Now I'm going to re-ask a question that I asked earlier because I didn't get the answer. You chose Canada for some reason. I know that you had other choices. You could have gone elsewhere and you could have been even more senior in other countries. Tell us about the choices you had and why is it you settled on Canada? Uh, yes, Nathan, you're right. In 2015, I got uh, a job proposal from Alexei Lihachev, first deputy minister of economic development of the Russian Federation. And then in 2016, he has promoted me to, uh, to the new position as a deputy trade commissioner in Canada. And yes, I had some options to choose. The first option was a senior trade commissioner in Norway, another deputy in Poland. But I decided to choose Canada. And there were some reasons, at least three. I was familiar with the country and had a lot of different connections with the country and it's always been interesting for me to get to know more about Canada and Canadians and finally this is a northern country with a very comfortable climate for me. (laughs) 
I don't know that many people would call Canada's climate comfortable. That's <laughs> I think only Yakutian could say that. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm the only one. You are the that. only one, one of the few on this planet that could call Canada's climate comfortable. So I congratulate you, sir, on that. Thank you. So, okay, well, you did choose Canada. That's interesting because you could have had a more senior position in Norway is what I just heard. You could have been senior trade commissioner there, and yet you chose to be a deputy, but to be uh, in Canada, a country that you felt uh, an affinity for, that you felt uh, closely connected to. Yes, right. And it was my decision, and I never regret that. Well, we're very happy to hear that. Now, tell us about your travels around Canada. Uh, I know you've been to uh, a couple places in the far north in Canada. There's even a sister city relationship between somewhere and somewhere. Tell us about that. Yeah, Canada is a great country with a vast territory, just like Russia. And um, I'm still exploring the country, and there are some provinces and territories to visit. But the most northern city I've ever traveled to is Yellowknife. Yellowknife is a small city compared to the capital city of my region, but they are facing the same challenges as Yakut city. Uh, severe climate, lack of infrastructure, degradation of permafrost due to, due to climate change. And uh, yes, you're right, they signed an agreement in 1993 with Yakutsk city, and they became um, sister cities in 1993. But unfortunately, now connections with the sister city have been lost. Oh, that's a shame. I didn't know that. Yeah. I knew that they had been sister cities. And I, and I asked you to compare the two cities. And you said, well, the, the Yakutia, the city, has seven to eight theaters, an opera, a ballet, and a number of museums. And there are a little less things to see in Yellowknife. Fewer sites in Yellowknife, you said. Yes, right. And uh, I can say that maybe... Some reasons for that, uh, first of all, the population, 20,000 people in Yellowknife and 280,000 people in Yakut City. Oh, okay. Big difference in population. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And you were there in October and you said it was lovely weather. What was the weather like in October? Minus 35. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous weather. <laughs> Fabulous weather. And I like that weather. This type of weather, because when it's 35 outside, you feel yourself like spraying in the Yakutians in winter times. It's because uh, it's usually 45 and 50 minus, so it's it's nice and warm uh, when it's <laughs> you can warm yeah, up when it's a mere minus 35, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm going to ask you a very serious question. And we had an interesting discussion on this. How does the treatment of indigenous people differ between Canada and the Russian Federation? And yes, you, 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 know, you talked about 100 years ago, but let's talk about today as well. You know, resource rights or land rights. How, how have things developed differently in your country, the Russian Federation, versus Canada? I think you will agree, Nathan, that the national identity is closely related to the native language and culture. And looking back at history, Russians came to Yakutia 400 years ago. We hadn't had alphabetic writing at that time. And the very first Yakut alphabet appeared in the 17th century and was associated with the Russian missionary. Other languages spoken in Yakutia were also described 
and recognized during the 18th and 19th centuries. However, they had been highly developed in the 20th century, and Russian and Sakha languages had been set up as official languages within the region, and other indigenous languages had been settled as official in districts where indigenous people lived. And um, I'm sure the national culture and traditions of indigenous people have been kept and developed due uh, to the native language. And if we will compare the situation uh, in Canada and Russia right now, I could say that we uh, should remember that history and think what happened in Russia to understand the situation we have now. We're living in the same territory as indigenous people. It's a vast territory of 3 million square kilometers, comparable with the size of India. We lived there for thousands of years and we're living there right now. We were able to visit our sacred places, to speak our language, and uh, to keep our culture all those years. And this is a very big difference between the situation in Russia and here in Canada. For example, you can compare just any of Canadian cities with Yakutsk, for example, because they were established by Russians and by newcomers to the Northern America almost at the same time. It was 16th or 17th century. You're talking about the city of Yakutsk and the city of Montreal, for instance, yeah? For instance, yes. The Yakut city was established in uh, 1632 and Montreal, I think, in 1634. Now tell us a little about a potential for cooperation. I know there are a few projects. You know, tell us about some existing projects. We had that bison project, which is, which is so interesting to me. How, how did that go about? Tell us about that. Yes, in 2006, we started very unique, I would say, project with uh, Canadian government. And um, there were four transfers. It's, uh, this is a project of reintroduction of Canadian bison to Yakutia. So we had uh, four transfers during since 2006. And the last transfer, we've made last transfer last year, in April 2006. 20. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. In the, in the middle of pandemic. <laughs> so, so bison don't mind the virus. Yes, it was very challenging for Canadian government, for the Russian government. We put everything we could to solve all the problems arising from the pandemic, and uh, we did it. Well, that's great. And how are those bison doing in Yakutia? Are they thriving? Yes. Have they adjusted to the climate? Yes, absolutely. And uh, now almost 300 bison in Yakutia right now, and uh, they are feeling themselves very well. And hopefully they will increase their population in Yakutia. And the presence of bison helps the climate. It helps the permafrost. Does it not explain to us why that is beneficial? Yes, right. The reintroduction of Canadian bison in Yakutia is not the only project we have in Yakutia. Another project in Yakutia is a reintroduction of muskox. And there were 
several transfers from another regions of the Russian Federation to Yakutia since 2006. It was this, almost the same time frame we've had these projects, and now at least 4,000 muskoks in the Arctic, in Yakutia. So they are doing very well, and uh, they are not actually conflicting with reindeers in terms of the feeding. And uh, they are, we hope that the indigenous people will be able even to hunt when the population will be increased enough. Oh, that's great. So tell us about some of the uh, economic opportunities for economic cooperation. I know uh, there are some sectors, you know, in IT, computer, graphics, autonomous vehicles. Tell us about some of the potential areas for cooperation between Canada and Yakutia. I think I should say about the opportunities between the Russia and Canada cooperation. Of course, of course. We don't have to... Uh, Yakutia is more interesting as a, as, a, as a region than Russia as a country, but uh, <laughs> just because for us it's exotic. Yeah. But absolutely, let's talk about Russia in general. Okay, and I think, firstly, it is worth mentioning the difference in the attitude of Russia and Canada towards the Arctic region. Very important to understand my point of view. The Russian Arctic is an important part of national economy uh, with a population of 2.4 million people and 10% contribution to national GDP. In Russia, we understand that we must support these people and ensure uh, sustainable development of this territory. But I'm sure the Canadian government shares these priorities as well. And um, I think we could consider some uh, multilateral projects. For example, a circumpolar fiber optic communication line connecting all the Arctic countries. This type of project can make a great contribution to the socioeconomic development of the Arctic regions and can be game-changing technology for the remote communities. Fiber optic around the entire Arctic Circle. You know, my family company has laid fiber optic cable and that would be a challenge, I can tell you. It's, it's hard to, to lay cable for, for 500 meters, and this would be thousands of kilometers. You think that's a feasible project? Yes, absolutely, because in Russia, we have already started the Polar Express project. Uh-huh. And by 2025, for example, in Yakutia, Yakutia will be connected to the line. In 2025, the Polar Express is a project for the construction of it's a transarctic fiber optic communication line between Murmansk and Vladivostok. Really? Yes, and new system uh, will include six pairs of optical fibers, and the total length will be incredible, 12,600 kilometers. That's a long line by anybody's yes. standards. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and they are doing very well, and they are developing, and uh, hopefully we will able to connect all remote villages and communities of the Arctic to the high-speed fiber optic line. And they will be enjoying all their possibilities to use fast communication system. It's good for the educational programs. It's very good for the health system because they can use all the new technologies in terms of the using the telemedicine communication. And of course, it will be very helpful to 
for the regional entrepreneurs and uh, for the development of the regional, for example, mining or infrastructure projects. And what are you doing in the area of mining? You said there's one area that Canada and Yakutia could cooperate in. Again, I don't want to, I don't want to focus exclusively on Yakutia because I know you represent the entire Russian Federation. But Yakutia for us is, is exotic. So tell us about, about what you're doing in the mining industry. You know, uh, Yakutia is one of the fastest developing regions in the Far East of Russia. And the mining industry is used to be uh, the major priority. But I think now the IT sector developing is a new priority for the regional government. And I this see. is very yeah, and this is very important to mention. And um, creative industries developing very fast, as well as movie production, for example. And the regional government put creative industry support as a priority. I should note that Saha people have been very creative all the time. And spirit of creativity in us since we speak our language and develop our culture. And as I mentioned earlier, that became possible due to the, to the unique ability of the Russian people to develop themselves by supporting other nationalities. So when you add to that base a very good educational system at schools throughout the region and local university, you can get such a result as we can see in Yakutia right now. There are a lot of IT companies there and they are developing very well and some of them worldwide. Interesting, okay. I remember you telling me about unmanned electric vehicles that you're developing. What was that about? Yes, it's a, another idea how we could work together with Canadian business and uh, scientists in terms of the development of the remote communities. And first of all, if we are talking about the mining in the remote areas, uh, when you have to reduce expenses, uh, your cost in order to make it profitable. And of course, the unmanned vehicles on remote mining, it's very interesting projects. And there are certain initiatives uh, in Russia, Kamas, for example, and uh, I know that together with another Russian company, together with Belas, it's a Belarusian company, they are developing also another project of unmanned vehicle technologies in Russia. So it's quite an interesting direction of cooperation. It sure is. And did I hear you say, did I hear you say that would be electric? Absolutely. So that has uh, benefits to the environment as well. Absolutely. Rather than these uh, diesel burning, gas guzzling monsters that you see up at the, at the mine sites, That's, that, that would be a wonderful change, I'm sure, for the environment. Right. And uh, in that case, we could uh, reduce uh, not only gasoline uh, consumption at the mining, but reduce the cost of the transportation because you have to have transport all the gasoline, all the kerosene to the north. Okay. So, yes, you, you don't have to pay for a driver and you don't have to pay to transport up all of those combustibles because you don't need them. Yes, absolutely. Very interesting. Is there anything else you'd like to say? We've been, uh, again, we've been focusing on Yakutia, but you do represent the entire Russian Federation. You know, just in conclusion, what can you say about Canada and Russia's trade relations during your three years here? Uh, have things improved? Have they gotten worse? 
Uh, what do you think the future holds for Canada and Russia as a whole, not just Yakutia and Canada? Yeah, unfortunately, we are still uh, have some restrictions in terms of the sanctions imposed by the Canadian government and the Russian counter-sanctions. And uh, it's not good for the business development, of course. But we're still doing very well in terms of the trade relations. We are There are certain industries and companies which are developing their trade relations with uh, Canadian partners. And I hope that we will expand our investment cooperation because right now in Russia there are different options for the Canadian companies to localize their production and to get access not only to the Russian market, but also to the Eurasian Union. Certainly, if you produce something in Russia, then you have access to Russia, Kazakhstan, uh, uh, Armenia, Belarus, everybody that's in the, the Eurasian Economic Union. Absolutely. Well, Valery Ivanovich, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Now, tell us in just 30 seconds or less, what made you a leader? What qualities or what actions? It's always, it's always been very important for me to be a part of the community. And um, as I mentioned earlier, I used to be a part of the social relations and part of the community all the time during school time at the university. and building the relationship with the people which was crucial for me in my development to become a leader. Well, you have always been a relationship builder. There's no doubt of that. Tell me, what does the future hold for Valery Maximov? You're not going to be trade representative forever. What do you aspire to? What, what, what do you hope to do after this assignment is over? It is very important for me to be the part of the community, as I said, and definitely I will be dealing with my native region, with Yakutia, and I hope to continue my public service on the federal level. Well, we wish you the very best at that. Uh, Valery Ivanovich, you have a, an, an illustrious pedigree. You've done great things so far with your life. Uh, you've come a long way from a very small village, and we wish you the very best to continue to expand, broaden your horizons, and make us all a little happier in the process. So thank you so much for sharing with us your views and your, your, uh, your history. It's been a great talk today. Thank you so much, Valeri. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Sure. Bye-bye now. Bye. You've been listening to Icebreakers, the podcast produced by Serba, a nonprofit business association supporting trade, investment, and good relations between Canada and the countries of Eurasia. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can join our LinkedIn group to send questions to guests and find more information about the podcast series in general on our website at www.serbanet.org. Thanks for tuning in.